Hello and welcome to the Brain Power Podcast, a podcast from the brain about the brain. This podcast is designed to discuss ways that we as humans use the brain throughout our daily lives without even knowing. So come and join us as we explore the topic of metacognition. If this is your first time being exposed to metacognition, it's best to explain it first to understand it. Metacognition is thinking about thinking. I know this may sound a bit awkward, but give it a moment. You are thinking about how your brain understands, learns, processes, and thinks about various topics. You are essentially becoming self-aware and understanding how your brain functions. Pretty cool, huh? There are many ways is to understand how we learn. Some people learn through behavior, behaviorist approaches, while others are visual or auditory learners. Some prefer hands-on learning, while others prefer abstract learning. There are numerous different methods to learn, and you need to find the one that is right for you. Just to put into perspective for you, you know, there are considered to be at least nine core learning methods with at least 16 to 20 subsections of learning methods. So it gets pretty deep when you look into it. One learning model I would like to discuss is a cognitive learning process model. This model places a heavy emphasis on the immersion of the learner. The learner will go through multiple tasks and be building their knowledge off of one another, a concept known as scaffolding. Yes, you can go around and learn numerous individual topics, which have no connection to one another. You can totally do that, that is totally fine. But if you choose to do scaffolding, you can connect your different areas of knowledge together to improve your overall mind and abilities. A great way to think of this is that imagine you're exposing yourself to different areas of the world, either for traveling or something else. Eventually you're going to pick up where all those, how all those different areas of the world are created and you're increasing your cultural awareness of the world. That is a version of scaffolding. Math is a common subject area which utilizes scaffolding extremely heavily, in fact. You start off as a child with counting, then adding, subtracting, eventually PEMDAS, I'm sure everyone remembers PEMDAS in fifth grade, geometry, algebra, and eventually calculus if you get very good at it. All those different areas of math are constantly being scaffolded for the next topic. Scaffolding is an amazing way to educate oneself and it's my personal favorite when planning instruction. You may be wondering if there's a another real world example that we can apply scaffolding to. And there's a lot of different real world examples that we can apply scaffolding to. Because if we look at it, most people will not be using extensive math skills in their life. Maybe if they're an accountant, maybe if they go into a specific math field, but most people won't be doing that. Therefore, the scaffolding cannot be truly, truly realized in a in a real world sense from math alone. I know I I know I personally haven't used anything other than basic math skills after completing my last calculus course in college. So in order to help drive a point home a little bit more, I think it is best if we discuss how scaffolding can be used in photography.
So the vast majority of people would not consider themselves a photographer. At least not beyond an amateur photographer, at the very least. However, everyone is actually a photographer to some degree. In our modernized world, we constantly have a camera in our pockets via the smartphone. I'm sure many of you have an iPhone, a Samsung phone, anything else. Most everyone has a phone on them basically now. So many people will be taking photos now of their daily wives and they're actually improving their skills in a hobby even if they do not know it. And as someone slowly takes more and more photos, they will gain knowledge of what a composition is in photography, what, what is good lighting, focus, and many other skills relevant to the hobby. Eventually, once they get these basic skills down, they will eventually learn the more advanced skills, such as editing the photos. And eventually, after that, they will learn how to connect those skills together to make an even better photo. Well, this is all an example of scaffolding. All those different skills in photography are building off one another constantly. Learning through scaffolding is extremely common even when you do not realize it because it is a subconscious process. It is a driving force in our daily lives even if you don't realize it. ideas of scaffolding, I would now like us to dive into a slightly different concept. This time we are going to be discussing something known as information processing theory. This theory is focused primarily on how the human brain works and will be the primary topic for the rest of the podcast. The best way to understand this theory is to think of your brain as a computer. Some of you may even be listening to this podcast through your computer right now. On this computer, you have a storage center where everything goes. Your documents, slideshows, pictures, and so much more. Only, instead of, those ob- instead of those objects would be your memories. On your own computer, you very likely have some organizational methods that you adhere to. You may be very organized with dozens of different folders to keep track of everything. Or you may be sloppy and you may have everything scattered about. Well, in your brain, it would not be much different. You are still compartmentalizing your memories in your brain, just like the folders in your computer are. You likely have some sort of internal system for storing specific information that you do not even realize. This is the basis for information processing theory. One sub-area of this theory worth mentioning is the topic of level and depth processing. This specific section believes that instead of having memories in specific areas, like the overarching theory says, that instead memories are associated with the type of processes going on in your brain at a given time. So, for example, let's say you are at Thanksgiving and you're having a political debate with your uncle. You will likely be recalling memories about political incidents or procedures during that time rather than other topics, because you're discussing politics. There's an association there, so your brain is recalling those topics because those are the most relevant to you at the time. Another example, let's say you work as a mechanic. Your mind will be recalling memories related to mechanic, mechanical situations rather than how to make a sandwich. 
because those mechanic situations are more important than how to make a sandwich at that time. Relevance most certainly plays a role in why we are close to our memories at certain times. Another aspect of this theory would be the contemporary information processing model. This model focuses on three parts, the sensory memory, the working memory, and the long-term memory. Let us discuss sensory memory first. This acts as sort of an initial entry point for information to be taken in and potentially form memories. There will always be some information lost during this phase, which the brain either doesn't consider important or is just not relevant enough or emphasized enough during that time to be considered worthy. The rest of the information, however, will transfer over to the working memory, which is the second phase of this model. Think of the working memory as what as what information is currently relevant to your current moment in life. Sort of how we mentioned earlier in the podcast, how if you're a mechanic, you're going to be recalling memories or information that has to do with mechanics. It's it's very similar to that. Uh, Some information will once again be lost during this phase, but this is also where memories begin to be truly formed. Through continuous rehearsal of working memories, the, the new working memories will eventually be able to transfer over to the long-term memory. Now that memory will be in your mind for an extended period of time, when the working memory needs something from the long-term memory, it will simply call over that information from the long-term memory over to the working memory so you can utilize it. It is almost like a production facility in a sense. You have all these different moving parts moving back and forth so that it can work efficiently. On that note, we will conclude this episode of the podcast. I hope that you all enjoyed, and please keep an eye out for the podcast episode, which will build upon information processing theory and long-term memory in regards to other aspects of life. So long, everyone.